0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This is Jennifer from Linden, California. Get exclusive podcasts and more at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Just like I do.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, it was a scam that tricked Hollywood crew members to fly halfway around the world for a fake movie. But what was this con job about? We'll talk about the new podcast, Chameleon. Then a homicide investigation seen exclusively through body cam, surveillance video, and social media. We get up close and personal with Netflix's American Murder, The Family Next Door. Joining me to get that done is my real life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and the man who can watch me reading the script right now, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello,
2: Rebecca. Kevin,
1: your hair has gotten extremely curly. It's crazy. And right? since this is video, I mean, can you just like turn around a little bit so that the America can see? <laughs> you look like like your like you're, like your mom who got a perm in the back. It's like crazy. <laughs> It's really something. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and the one most likely to get enraged by all kinds of injustice, Lara Bricker. Hello,
3: Lara. Hello, Rebecca. And I would like to add, my hair is, for the first time in pandemic life, long enough to go completely back in a ponytail. Congratulations. Home. Congratulations. It's very exciting. <laughs> hey, it's the little things, Rebecca. <laughs> it is the little things these days, isn't it? Get
1: your joy where you can. Like, I'm addicted yeah. to that Property Brothers iPhone game right now. It's the little things. It's the little things. <laughs> also with us, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our favorite naysayer, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. Let's start our first review, shall we? I get a call from Mark saying, hey, we've got this lady, D. Backish, husband is CEO of like Viacom. She's got a movie. She's branching out into being in production producing this movie. It seemed like a big break for behind-the-scenes crew members. A high-paying job on a major movie shot in Indonesia. But when they front their own expenses and fly halfway around the world, the producer is nowhere to be found.
4: Eddie was sucked into a story he simply couldn't have imagined. One that spans the globe from Hong Kong to the UK. It involves nefarious bagmen, private investigators, phone sex, the FBI... And one of the longest, strangest cons in history.
1: In the new podcast Chameleon, Hollywood Con Queen, host Josh Dean from The Clearing explores a long-running scam that targets those hoping to advance in the entertainment industry. I remember driving through this what looked like a township and thinking, I'm a single woman on my own. I don't speak the language. It's getting dark. I can't get anyone to call me. I'm really scared now. What is this complex scheme really about? Is it just a prank or is it something more sinister? And can Josh and his team track down the mastermind behind the con? Now, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points for Chameleon, the Hollywood Con Queen. So if you want to just get our thumbs up or thumbs down review of this podcast, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin Flynn. Yes. Josh Dean hosted The Clearing. You remember him, right? Yep, I do. The Clearing is one of those podcasts that uh, I think about more after having listened to it than I thought of it. While we listen to it, I actually talk about it all the time in retrospect as one of like the most creative and interesting true crime podcasts we reviewed, like really singular. Um, Josh Dean has now struck out on his own and has created this new podcasting company with Vanessa Gregoriadis. And this is their first podcast. It does have sort of the very polished sound of like a startup podcast company podcast right it sounds like there's really good people working
0: on this
2: yeah well I mean it's got a great story on on this uh, for this podcast series it's got some quality people running it you know some of the production stuff I mean I think some of it's a little overdone I mean I think that would be one of my critiques from the podcast is Mm. that there's a lot of you know production stuff with
1: bleeps and bloops the people they're pretending to be when they make their calls are basically every powerful woman in Hollywood the real one.
4: supposedly talking to this woman named Wei Yang. She's pretending to be Debra She's The
2: woman named this What's her Chinese name?
4: Li Zhao.
2: Leaps and bloops and phone echoes and recreations of babies in bathtubs and stuff like that. It just seems unnecessary. <laughs> Right? So it's like if they're taking a page out of the Wondery book, they should read another book.
1: Hmm. I will say the one thing that I did notice was that uh, Audio Stinger at the beginning for their company. Yeah. Chameleon. Chameleon. Chameleon.
2: Okay. You're listening to Chameleon,
4: a production of Campside Media.
1: Oh. <laughs> Sounds a lot like another Audio <laughs> Stinger for another podcast, Radio Lab. Oh, wait, you're listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> You're listening, listening. to Radio Lab. That did stick out to me a little bit. I was like, hmm, someone got some inspiration there, but that's a quibble. We should say
4: um, so. I just... always love starting on a quibble.
1: <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair.
4: It's not a very big quibble. Well, I know there's a
1: lot to like about this podcast. So anyway, um, I'm just going to summarize the story real quick. I think that's fair to do. So the characters in this podcast we've listened to the first few episodes. They are sort of behind the scenes Hollywood workers, gig economy people. One of them is a trainer who aspires to train people who are working on action films. One of them is a makeup artist, etc. They are working with a woman who says she's with a big budget movie. Uh, And in in one case, it's a Chinese Hong Kong action film. It seems legit. Uh, We actually see that they looked up the movie on IMDb and see it's in production and attached to huge stars. So the scam seems to be that these folks then use their own money to fly to Indonesia. They get driven around in a taxi to location scout, even though location scouting isn't part of their job. They never actually get to meet any of the film crew or producers that they've been ostensibly talking with or the lawyers or anything. And they kind of freak out and they leave. And then the producer calls them and yells at them for leaving. And that seems to be the whole scam. It's very, very confounding. Laura, when this podcast started, we first get the story of Eddie, the personal trainer who's drawn into this scam. But it's a long, like kind of a long roundabout way to getting
3: into the story. What did you think of Eddie and his story and the way this this story kind of opens? It was unfortunate that there was so much backstory. Like they buried the lead because if, you know, I didn't need to go to Eddie's house and hear about Eddie's injuries and hear, I mean, it just bogged down the start of this story. So by the time we got to this totally bonkers thing where Eddie's going off to Indonesia, I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is a crazy story. Why are we 20 minutes into this episode before I'm hearing this story? So, you know, I feel like the setup was just a little bit too drawn out. And this is the type of story that was just so bananas that I wish there was a little setup. And then they just got right into it Hmm. because these details were just so compelling to listen to. Like Once we got into what was happening with... And then they went there, and they had to front their own money, and they're like going around with these drivers that don't speak English and won't tell them where they're going, and they're not really meeting anybody. I'm like, what are they? Are they going to be drug mules? Are they going to be killed? Like, what's happening here? Hmm. Um, so I just felt like. Structurally, it could have been tightened up in the beginning. No, I agree. I actually
1: also would have flipped it uh, because I think Heather's story, the makeup artist story, is way more
3: compelling than Eddie's. The reason I had my hand on my backpack and on the door was that I felt like he was taking me somewhere and my only way to survive was to jump out before I got to that destination because I felt like if if I got to wherever he was taking me, that's when the bad things would happen. Here she was.
1: She was a woman alone in Jakarta driving around with this strange guy who didn't speak English. And, you know, poor woman. All she wanted was a beer. And it just was really hard to get one. (laughs) Um, But she actually had tape. Yeah, she actually had tape. She had tape from her trip. She had tape of her conversations with this fake producer. If it were me, I would have flipped. I I probably would have smashed the first two episodes into one episode. And I would have opened with Heather because her story to me was like, terrifying in a way that Eddie's wasn't what do you think Toby I,
4: I actually I don't agree with you on that I think they they sequenced it right I, I I thought Eddie's story was pretty compelling and I actually didn't mind the buildup because I what Eddie and Heather and I guess other people are going to be involved in this and they say this they're not it's not the Hollywood that you think about it's it's these people who are sort of working on the margins And sort of getting a sense of what that's actually like, I thought was sort of important because it shows the leverage that this con person has on them mm, is that point. even when they get a little suspicious or things aren't quite right, they're like, well, but this is a big opportunity. So I got to kind of keep going. So I thought if they'd started with Heather, then Eddie's story would have seemed kind of like a letdown. Mm. But I yep. found that Eddie, Eddie's was was strong enough. And then you get to Heather's and you know it's just like an escalation of it. Uh, I thought that worked pretty well. Hmm. I also agree with that, just for that
2: reason, too, because for Eddie, he just ended up leaving. Right. Right? Well, he, he doesn't six, escape. He, he doesn't call the council. Yeah, he. they all lost money. Yeah. But also, Eddie is our entree to the whole story, right? Because Eddie's the connection to the Hollywood producers, the connection to the host. So, if you heard about him second. Right. And I thought about this, too. Like, should... These are two similar stories. There's probably a way to put them, and that, the, those two episodes are one big episode, but you might have to cut so much out to make it fit. I, I don't know. I'm. It could have probably been done that way because I think r- things really pick up in the third episode.
1: Didn't you think, though, that a lot of the scenes and dialogue in the episodes could have been cut? I mean, it did feel like they left everything i mean it, it did i mean i will tell you i i i love josh dean's work and i love his writing and i'm i'm a big fan of his but i felt like it could have benefited from a tighter edit and it felt very much like their producer friend who we hear in the credits is a uh, you know contributing producer to the show the hollywood guy is it andy who uh is friends with eddie Yeah. Um, It sounds like it was important to leave him in the show, and that you know maybe they didn't want to like cut that because of how they got the story. But it just felt long to me. That that's that's sort of my one issue with the. Hey, if my butt
2: sat in the same seat as. What's her name? Margot Robbie. What's yeah, her, Margot yeah. Robbie. Mar- Margot Robbie. I would put that in my podcast, too. <laughs> Good I'm, point. I'm not proud. I'm just Good saying. point.
1: Good point. Okay, forget everything I said. You're absolutely right, guys. You're absolutely right. So, Toby, what's the deal with all the scam podcasts that we're getting right now? Scam the new murder when it comes to true crime podcasts?
4: I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I guess I, the, the the two sort of responses I would have to that, and I don't know when this all started, uh, when they started doing the recording for this or the research or whatever, I feel like these scam ones are a little bit lighter than the murder ones, and I, I think that's one of the things I liked about this one, especially when when you contrast it with the second thing we're talking about. Um, so it's just not having something that's so like soul-drainingly depressing at mm. times, because um, because really, I mean, people lose money, and that a hundred percent sucks. And I'm not trying to make light of you know what obviously was was. You know, fiscal harm and and wasted time, and and being scammed isn't fun. But nobody, at least so far, has died. And really, the most sort of harrowing thing that's happened is that uh, Heather doesn't know why she's being driven away from her hotel, and kind of freaks out about it. And then eventually learns that actually, he's just he's trying to get around traffic, Hmm. essentially. So she was never really in danger, but it but she's she sort of feels that she is. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good question. And I don't know if maybe people have been looking to say, okay, we've it's been so murder dominated uh in the true crime podcast space, where where else can we go? And I mean, people like con man stories you know, there's there's so many movies about it. it it's sort of a natural for the genre. Hmm. Uh, so maybe the question is, why did it take so long for there <laughs> to be a bunch?
1: Well, we know Lara loves a good con man story, right, Lara,
3: I do. I do love a good con man story. And, and I also love like a good double life story when you have a con man. Somebody that's like, you know, by day, never would expect that they were actually running like, you know, some racket in their back room that nobody knew about or whatever. Or a
2: llama farm.
3: Or a, a <laughs> private investigation <laughs> firm in her new Jersey office from home.
1: Laura, (laughs) that that private investigator, uh, Nikki, like, she reminded me a little bit of
3: Laura Bricker. (laughs) (laughs) Bathing her kids and taking phone calls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting. But the thing that I thought was so weird, I'm like, um, are there no private investigators out in California where this is happening? Like, Why are they calling this PI in New Jersey? I thought that was kind of strange. Well, she does corporate work and she got hooked up by a lawyer who had hooked her up with other clients. You know, she's good, must be good at what she does. Good at what she does. So I'm eager to hear more from her as we go forward about, you know, more information about what she found out. Because that's the thing is like when you're listening to this podcast, I mean, the thing that's always sort of in my mind is, are they going to be able to deliver and explaining to us like what the heck is going on here? Because nobody seems to really be profiting from this scam. So so that's, you know, I really need to know, are we actually going to find out who's behind this and what is their motivation hmm. besides just the power of controlling people and getting them to fly halfway around the world for no apparent reason? Yeah, I'm, I I want to know if they solve it too.
2: Well, Laura brings up a really good point that a lot of these scam uh, podcasts, and we've had, this is like our third in the past two months it's usually about the who or the why or the how. This is the first one that I can remember that's about the what.
1: Yeah, like what the hell are they doing? What is this? <laughs> what's the angle? Right.
2: And, I mean, the what's going to lead to the how and the who and the why, right? right. But. It's interesting that that is sort of the upfront question. What the hell is this whole scam about? Didn't
1: it seem like... It is a, it a prank? Well, didn't it seem like the most likely explanation that we sort of got that it could have been? I mean, we don't know because we haven't listened to the whole podcast yet. Was the drug smuggling. I mean, it seemed right, like they, yeah. they, they, they sort of have these like work a day gig workers who, by the way, all travel with equipment and cases probably. A Hollywood production is probably a fantastic way to smuggle drugs because it involves like the transportation of giant like pelican cases with cameras and stuff, right?
2: Yeah, all that stuff gets weighed
1: though. Yeah, no, I know, with the bills of lading. Yeah. We've I seen that say, on yeah. many <laughs> Remember that Law and Order SVU we did where they had the cocaine and the costumes? Yeah. And they used the bills of lading?
4: <laughs> See, I, I had I hope I hope this is what it is, but I, I feel like it's not. But I had this theory that the, the real con is going out against people we haven't met yet and oh. that they're getting all these Hollywood people you know, quote unquote, Hollywood people to come over to make it look like They've got Hollywood people interested in something that's going on in Indonesia and mm. what she's actually doing it's trying to pull something on these Indonesian people. Three dimensional chess. Wow! I'm bringing in all these people from Hollywood and you know they're they're scouting locations and they're you know doing this and they're doing that and she like has the Argo? actual people <laughs> and then they just send some back and it's just like you know fuck you I'm not paying you back six thousand bucks
1: yeah yeah and,
4: uh, anyway that's my theory.
1: Laura, what did you think of Heather's experience, especially being driven around in the car? You know we hear that tape of the driver that she very smartly sort of sends clips to people and is like, I think I'm being kidnapped. Listen to this and translate it for me. Exactly, by the way, 100% what I would do in that situation. What is the guy saying in
2: the front seat in a foreign language? Well, this kidnapping is going so well.
1: <laughs> I hope well, she's
2: not on to me.
1: <laughs> well, he was. He was He was obviously He was aware she was upset because he was communicating that to the fake producer lady. Because the fake producer lady heard from the driver that she was upset. But Laura, that was scary. I mean, I would be very, very scared in that
3: situation. Would you not be scared? Oh, yeah. And it's like one of the recurring dreams. I I don't know if you guys have like those recurring dreams where you can't talk or something, but I'll have the one where like somebody has broken in my house and I'm trying to call 911 and I can't dial the phone. But like something similar to this actually happened to us once when we were on vacation. And it was it was pretty scary. And in hindsight, it was probably just a language barrier or something. But we were taking an Uber and the guy immediately said, I know speak English. And then he canceled our ride. (laughs) But we were already driving down the road with him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And we're trying to tell him where we're going, and he's like, "I know, speak English." And we're like, "Oh my god, we're gonna be freaking killed!" Like, he's canceled a ride with with
1: Uber
2: episode that would have been. Kevin,
1: do you remember that time we got in an Uber and it just smelled like a giant fart? The guy had clearly like just been farting like all night in his car, and then we got in and we were just looking at each other the whole time, like, "What are we supposed to do?"
2: Well, they do have a thing now about like, "Would you rate the smell of the vehicle?" (laughs) Like,
3: I think it was because of our ride. Well, there was no smell in this one, but it was, it was, it, I was relating a lot to her story because I remember. Ken and Will and I were in this Uber, and Ken is looking at me going, like, don't do it. Like, he's like, shut up. Don't instigate. Don't do anything. He was going to get you murdered. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and we're, like, going the wrong way down the road. Will's on, like, Google Translate, trying to be like, our hotel is this way. And finally, at the end, what we found out is that it was actually a scam. Yeah. So what they were doing was they would cancel the ride like you didn't take it. And then they would say, now you pay me in cash. Right. So they were circumventing yeah. the rules. But but at the time, like as I was listening to her story and I was like, oh, my God, she's doing exactly what I would have done. We'd be like texting. We're in this car. This is where we are. This is what the guy looks like. This is his number on his like badge hanging up there, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so good my for daughter her.
4: did that when she was four.
3: Oh, really? We, oh,
4: well, we were le- we were getting ready to to leave for somewhere and we she was in her car seat. We went back in to get stuff and she got my phone <laughs> and then she recorded this message my parents have left me here. They say they're gonna leave, but they haven't come back yet. So like to record this whole thing and put it back. Same and, like, and then like days later, God. I, I like find it. I'm like, what is this? You know, what what is this thing taking up all this room on my phone? And I play it. And it's her little, you
0: know,
4: ransom note.
1: Hey Kevin, um, were you surprised as I was and horrified? It sounded like those consulate people in Indonesia knew a whole lot about what to do if you were the victim of some scammy operation. They had a lot of things to do at the ready. They were like, okay, do this, this, this. like like they deal with it all the time.
2: Well, they have a checklist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's your job, Rebecca. <laughs> so like at an embassy, they like, well, car. what can we do? Well, we can stamp passports. <laughs> you know, we can approve visas, and we can help uh, tourists. We to can get- secretly
1: be in the CIA, and we can tell you to put yeah, your passport right. in your bra, and don't tell the hotel manager what time you're leaving. Leaving the hotel and don't leave your bags unattended, just in case they put a secret compartment in there full of drugs.
0: Yeah, oh, I don't know. Gosh.
1: I was like, they seem really at the ready. This must happen all the time.
2: They're like, oh, <laughs> it's a code seven, <laughs> <laughs> code seven, everybody.
1: Toby, question for you: uh, We hear kind of as as episode three is wrapping up, and then, by the way, to me, another like slightly too long scene that we've discovered that it's not a bunch of people sitting in a Boiler room, phone bank, making all these phone calls and doing all these voices. It's actually just one person.
4: As Nicole, a relentless PI, dug into the documents, and especially tape of the scammer that she'd been accumulating, something became increasingly clear. Something really crazy. This scam, with all its characters stretching over six years at least... It was just one person.
1: And Josh and Vanessa and the P.I., they all seem like kind of amazed that it's one person who's behind all this what do you think about that toby
4: that doesn't surprise me at all my my office manager at my last job could 100 percent have like done all the logistics for this <laughs> she could not have pulled off all the voices yeah i mean it's really i mean it's like running an office where there's people going to here and there and you've got you've got travel arrangements and you have to know where they are and you have to get them stuff and I mean, that's just like a job that a lot of people do. And this one turned to the dark side, I guess. This comes up. It's like, there's no way that one person could possibly do this themselves. And I'm like, I don't know. That that doesn't really seem to me to be.
1: Like a talented admin you think could absolutely pull it off.
4: Yeah, you know, with the, with enough self motivation, um, <laughs> self directed work, a
1: PDF, no problem.
4: <laughs> no, but it, it, I mean, I do. I I think it's it, it's really a matter of organization. Mm. It's like, can you keep track of all this stuff? Well, if a thing is
2: worth doing, hmm. it's worth doing well.
1: It's worth hiring a kick ass admin to do yes. it. So, with that, Laura Bricker, we're gonna do what we do. Let's let our audience know should they check out Chameleon, the Hollywood con queen, the new podcast from
3: Josh Dean, formerly of The Clearing. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Chameleon? Yeah, I would say thumbs up. I mean, I do have, like I said, I I felt like there was areas where there could have been tighter editing and that the high points of the story could have been told a little bit sooner. But overall, this story, this scam is so bizarre that it doesn't matter because you want to keep listening to find out what the heck is going on here. Like who is behind this? And what is the end goal here? It's just... So crazy. Like I've never heard of anything like this. So uh, just for that, I would listen to this. I mean, it's just bonkers. Um, so that would be a thumbs up. What do you think, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for
1: Chameleon Hollywood Con Queen.
4: Yeah, I like this a lot. You know, I, I think it's it's entertaining, it's it's a little bit lighter than what we're used to. And I didn't have I didn't have the the problems with the pacing or or the or the editing or lack of that I think some other people did. You know, it's a little bit more of a a storytelling thing, Mm. more than like actual, I guess it gets more to journalism maybe in the third, but it's a lot of like a story. Uh, So I give it, you know, I give it a hearty thumbs up. Kevin Flynn.
2: I'm going to go thumbs up as well. I guess uh, if 2016 was the year of the wrongful conviction, I guess 2020 is the year of the con man podcast. Uh, I think first of all they start off with a good case, so that means they're gonna have a good podcast story. That always seems to be like the thing that just sets these kinds of uh podcast hunt. Let's go and try to find something. Dooms them from the start, but this is this is a good one. So it's a good story. It's not the usual financial scam, uh, and you know you don't have old ladies and llamas, and so you know that that makes it different. It's not flashy like the sneak either. Uh, with Jewel Heist and things like that. There are a couple of unnecessary production embellishments that I think make it feel like maybe they don't feel it's strong enough to stand on its own. It is. It's an interesting story. And, you know, Josh is promising a satisfying ending to this series and whatever that means, unlike other podcasters, he knows what that means. So. He should know what that looks like. So thumbs crossed for an even bigger thumbs up. Thumbs yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. for a <laughs> Thumbs up.
1: I <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a thumbs up too. I, am, I like the podcast a lot. I'm going to keep listening to it. And I'm also just really excited about this new production company making podcasts. It's uh, stacked with talented people that I like and admire. I actually am familiar with Vanessa's writing and Josh's reporting. And as I mentioned, The Clearing is one of my all-time favorite true crime podcasts. Um, so I'm really excited about this. I agree with you, Kevin, that it does feel overproduced and under edited. I do think that when you get a lot of talented audio people together on a project like this, sometimes they like to show off what they can do. And I don't think this story needs it. It's straighter. It doesn't so much need the sound design. But like I said, those are quibbles. I think this is a strong podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of it and seeing how they land the plane. I love the way that Josh landed the plane in the clearing.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing if he can land the plane in this one. So, thumbs up for me. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Moving on. Now, Kevin, we have a little business to attend to. We're starting with
1: an announcement, right? Yes. As we play the business music during this business portion of the podcast. We, when did we get
2: business music? By the way, I don't
1: know. I just thought it was like if good to insert some music here. Otherwise, it's just us being self promotional with no like uh, underground what does it sound sass. Like? What uh, does Toby, all you have to do like? is listen to our podcast, and then you <laughs> hear the business music. Give us the one download, Toby. Come on! All right. Um, next week, big news, guys. Speaking um, of music, we have. A brand new, shiny, delicious Crime Writers On theme song that will be premiering on the podcast next week. For everyone to hear. But if you want to hear what it sounds like right now, you can check it out. We are going to be playing it in its entirety on our Patreon after show this week. So you can be the first ones to hear the new Crime Writers On podcast theme song. So what's going to happen to our old
2: podcast theme
1: music? Um, It lives on. It's available for download on Spotify or any of but the we're apps. retiring it. Yeah, we're retiring yeah. it. You know, Rock Steady Freddy, the saxophone player performing that version of Harlem Nocturne with Near Scott Jazz Ensemble is my beloved... Ex-brother-in-law.
2: ex Yes. Well, he's been ex
1: for a long time, but yes, he was kind enough like six plus years ago yeah. to give us performance rights and permission to use that song in this podcast. And uh, we love him, and we love the song, but... It's not ours. We're grown up, man. It's not our own.
2: Yeah, let's have something that's our own.
1: Now that we've been doing it for six years. It's time. (laughs) It's time. It's time. So yes, the theme song is uh, composed by the awesome Ty Gibbons, who um, did the music for Patient Zero and a bunch of other podcasts. He's just wonderful. And so you can hear that right now on the Patreon After Show. Kevin, what else have we got going on on Patreon right now?
4: We
2: have a whole bunch of stuff that I forgot to put in the script. <laughs> we have a, a new Leave It to Bricker. Yeah. And Laura is uh, being her best pet detective. Yeah. There's some mm-hmm. loitering pigeons. There's some rampant rabbits. Mm. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we, we've got the Crime Writers on After Show. Yep. And uh, we're going to be having an announcement about a, a new live Married with podcast.
1: That's right. And we should say also on the Crime Writers on After Show this week, we're going to be talking about the news breaking around the Caliphate podcast. Right. Why the New York York Times has decided to examine its own reporting and perhaps re-report part of that podcast. Oh, looks Peabody. like one of us who is
2: the thumbs down doesn't look so silly. Now.
1: <laughs> Was that you? Mm-hmm. Did you give the Peabody award-winning caliphate a thumbs down? I did. What is the matter with you? I knew things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be talking about that on today's Patreon After Show as well. Now, Kevin, before we move on, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
2: Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Shannon Havenhill and Catherine Yants. Mm. Bless you.
1: Bless you Indeed. All right. Shall we move on to our next review? We keep
2: moving on, yes.
1: Let's get it done.
0: I'm calling because I'm concerned about a friend of mine. I dropped her off at her house at 2 in the morning last night, and I haven't been able to get a hold of her this morning.
1: In 2018, Shanann Watts and her two daughters disappeared from her Colorado home. Police canvassed the area, reached out to the media, and relied heavily on information provided to them by her husband, Chris. I
4: think about like... Did I cause this? Like, did I make her feel like she needed to leave? Maybe she sat there and thought about it, like, do I really need to stay here
0: right now? Okay.
1: He doesn't love me. Netflix's new documentary, American Murder, The Family Next Door, is presented without narration or interviews. It's told exclusively through texts, Facebook posts, videos from the Watts family, as well as body cam and surveillance footage from police. What results is a real time chronicling of a triple homicide investigation, which leads back to Chris. I want them back
2: home. Like. But, you know,
0: they're not coming back home. You
4: know that. I don't know in the back of my head. I hope
0: they come back home. But you know they're
1: not. American Murder uses 21st century technology to eschew the conventions of most true crime documentaries. What results is an inside look at a family's slow roll to tragedy that is compelling, voyeuristic, and indisputably unique. We are going to be giving away spoilers for American Murder, so if you don't want to hear them, even though this is a real case and the documentary basically covers that case, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. One other caveat, I did interview the director behind American Murder, Family Next Door, for the Netflix podcast, You Can't Make This Up, another podcast I host. If you want to check out my interview, listen to You Can't Make This Up. I'm actually really proud of the show. Uh, A listener told me I never talk about it here, and I should, but anyway. I interview the director of this movie we talk about how it got made which is an interesting conversation that you know if you want to hear it go ahead and do that
2: there's a whole Rebecca Lavoie podcast you don't have to pay to listen to that's right that's right a whole other one
1: (laughs) (laughs) now Kevin you said to me when we were watching this that this is a documentary that couldn't have been made before now right
2: yeah, I mean, just the advances in sort of technology, everything from, uh, you know, all these Facebook posts that uh, provide a, a look back at the uh, players here, the body cameras that cops wear now, the surveillance video. When we were, got into writing true crime, if somebody had a diary, mm. it was like, oh, gold mine, we can yeah. find out all sorts of stuff. And by the time we were doing our last true crime book, you know, the victim had a very active Facebook page. And so you could get into their mindset on a certain day. Mm. So you couldn't have done this kind of documentary. Before now.
1: I mean, I think it does make a difference that Shanann Watts herself was very performative on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, she not only had a personal Facebook page, uh, but the director Jenny told me that a lot of the video used in the documentary is also from her MLM. She had like a, a second Facebook page because she belonged to a multi level marketing company. And a lot of her personal branding was around sharing and making videos of herself with her family. And she also had a lot of videos on her phone, which the documentarians had access to both her phone and her computer because the family gave them to the documentarians. So, you know, there's the sh- the Shenan stuff. But laura what really drew me into this documentary when I started watching it, and this is very straight true crime, right? On paper, it's yeah. not different than other true crime stuff that's on investigation discovery and stuff or whatever. But the use of the body cam footage to bring you in at the beginning into this mm-hmm. TikTok investigation, to me was just an outstanding piece of media making. What did you think
3: about that? Yeah, it was, I I was at first, I was kind of like, wait, is this really what the video looks like? Because it was just such good quality, and it had, you know, you were hearing what everybody was saying, and you were like, right there, going along as this was unfolding. So I was, I, I never knew what, I mean, it's like sometimes when I used to do private investigator work, you know, you'd get surveillance footage, and some places would be great, and some would be horrible. Like, Market Basket had fantastic surveillance tapes. But of course. The police, bo- I know, who knew? Uh, when people were like stealing lobster rolls and stuff, you could see them clear as day. Uh, but Noted. I was just, I know. So just keep that in mind out there, people in New England. Um, I was just really amazed at just how high quality the camera was. And as it was happening, like I liked at one point um, the, I'm just going to call him piece of shit husband left the room. And there's that other guy, and he's like, something's wrong with him. Something oh, the the right. Yeah, yeah, the neighbor with the driveway cam. Yeah, and I was like, that guy? Good for him. But I liked that we watched it play out, and I liked how they kind of put him off in the beginning, and they're like, oh, well, it could be this, it could be that. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, it's not usually this jumpy, something's up. Hmm. And he was right. Now,
1: Toby, before we get into uh, what I know is going to be an interesting conversation with you just about the nature of true crime documentary, because I have feelings, is it not... A great argument for all the debate there is out there about police wearing body cams, which all the data shows, by the way, actually does improve police community relations and decreases incidents of police misconduct and increases incidents of police being able to back up their work. Does this documentary not show that there is value in investigators wearing these things, having them on all the time? Because when you look back at the footage they were able to capture, they were actually capturing clues to the case on their body cam footage as they did the canvassing of the neighborhood, as they interviewed Chris Watts in his driveway and in his house. That's all I could think about was like, cops should wear these things all the time.
4: They do, don't they?
1: No, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> um,
4: uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. I mean, that's not really why I I think it's important for cops to wear.
1: No, I know. No. This is what I'm saying. Is it's another benefit? I mean, they actually. It
2: ought to be a selling point.
4: Yeah, for law we get enforcement. to have like this some like voyeuristic uh, ability to watch no, them work when they're talking to people.
1: No, but think ev- for an evidentiary purposes, right? They have on video their first encounter. With with the killer. They have it on video without having him in an interrogation room. They have I You know what I mean? Like they're able to see that he's that he picks up her cell phone and says this is her lifeline. They're able he to- doesn't
4: have to testify to that. It's much stronger than showing yeah. the video. Yeah. yeah, that's that I, I could see that as a, you know, as a trial tool or whatever. It's, you know, you don't have to take their word for it.
1: But Toby, you do think this is voyeuristic. Let's just get it out there. Go ahead.
4: I, you know, when you were talking about this whole beginning, I guess my question is, is like, to what end? I mean, Mm. it seems like what's interesting that happens is that, you know, that this guy did it and you're watching him pretend like he didn't Mm. and you're watching the cops, how the cops are kind of handling it. And it just, it just seems voyeuristic. Like, I don't. I, the whole thing I watched, and I was like, "What am I supposed to be getting out of this? Beyond some kind of voyeuristic thrill that I'm like, kind of a fly on the wall, while all this different stuff happens, and I know the outcome. And isn't it creepy? You know that you're you're seeing him and the way he's acting, and isn't that creepy? And like they don't even know, and he's saying this, and this guy kind of knows, and it just like all the stuff that we." Review that I think is good. And I think there's a hell of a lot of good true crime out there, but it feels like it's kind of moved beyond this. Hmm. When it's all over, there's not much to be said about the case. Right. It's not particularly interesting. The saving grace, I think, for me at least, that I wasn't just like completely put off, although I was very put off, but what made it sort of some excuse is that you can see why uh, Shanann's family wanted to do it, because people think that she killed her kids.
1: Or that she was a bitch and had it coming.
4: Right. Shanann's father, Frank Ruzek, says his daughter and his grandchildren have been ridiculed, demeaned, slandered, and mocked in the most vicious ways you can imagine. Place to stop. Get on with your lives. Leave ours alone. And this is a way of showing that that's not true. So I I can understand why they would want to... Participate in this, and would even be willing to let filmmakers in on this this very, very personal stuff. And, and this is something like when I was working for the Crimes Against Children Research Center, and we we'd be thinking about doing a web page and stuff. It's like, well, what you know, what what do you do for visuals for something like that? And they're like, well, how about kids on swings and stuff? It's like, yeah, but it's kids being used as like potential victims. Mm. Like that that doesn't seem right, right? And all this footage of these cute little girls and it's all with the idea that their father's going to murder them. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and it's, it's uncomfortable and not in a way that you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable in a way that like, are we really doing this?
1: Yeah. Now, Kevin, as Toby pointed out that, you know, we have, I guess, you know, as as a genre, true crime has moved beyond this kind of story. But this is classic true crime. They know who did it beginning, middle and end of a case. It's just done very differently here, which I think I mean, what true crime was before serial, before it became about wrongful convictions and discovering the truth and investigative journalism kind of putting its way into the lane it was this. It was voyeuristic. Look at this horrible thing that happened and follow along for the ride, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, I think that I mean, our
1: books are like that to some extent.
2: Yeah, it has all the elements of what could be a very basic investigation discovery half hour special, right? They have all this video and everything. and I think it was a bold choice to say, look, we're not going to do the thing where now we're going to do an interview with the cop and we're going to do the drone shots over the town and have a narrator with, you know, this breathless uh, exposition, but just show what happened. And then to make these with just a minimal amount of sort of music to move the story with more like editing story choices, but like they could have just taken this and gone like, okay, we're going to start back at the marriage. We're going to go all the way forward chronologically. And then all of a sudden we're going to introduce a girl, you know, an affair. And then who's the, and then who's going to die and who's going to be the real killer? But they didn't do it like that. I think they realized they had the makings of some really good stuff. And you don't take sushi-grade tuna and make chicken to the sea, right? We're going to lay it out on the plate Mm. as it is. Yeah.
1: Laura, what were your thoughts about that? I mean, Toby, I think is, I mean, I'm going to be frank, less accustomed to traditional true crime uh, than we are. We all wrote true crime books that are essentially this, that are essentially a voyeuristic ride-along with an investigation to, let's be honest, to entertain and somewhat to titillate and also to say what happened, you know, to get the the criminal justice story out there. That's what this is. I mean, I think it it would be disingenuous to say that this isn't a piece of entertainment about a sensational case that's what it is it is voyeuristic absolutely it is uncomfortable for that reason. Absolutely. But
3: it's also not new, right? Right. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I I guess it didn't hit me like that because I'm like, you know, the books that we've written and writing, you know, any type of an in-depth newspaper or magazine story about a case, you often do these kind of interviews. And if you have cooperation from family or friends, you're going to be possibly getting a look at social media of somebody that's, you know, a victim in a case. They might show you the social media or like, you know, I remember trying to negotiate to get photos of um, you know people from their wedding and. Things like that. So I, I didn't take it like the voyeuristic. I just thought as I was watching this, I kept thinking, what would the case of like my murder look like if they used my social media to tell my story? Yeah, yeah it's true. And I'm like, that was the thing. It's like, you can say this is voyeuristic and this is intrusive, but we are living in a time where, and I'm, I'm like a person, I'm always posting on social media. People always like tease my husband, like, oh, what did you do? Never mind. Let me check your wife's social media page because there are different types types of people. People post your best self out there. And and there's people that chronicle everything. So I think it's just a different time. And In this case, that really gave us a window into this real-time following along as to what was happening in their lives, their marriage, but also seeing these little videos and pictures of, it was heartbreaking. Some of them were just absolutely heartbreaking. I think it's just a really creative way to use that to tell the story in a way that was really effective.
4: So you you don't think there's an issue with showing videos of two little girls' like playing with the person who's gonna murder them
1: yes i did have i mean that that was very difficult yes i i'm toby just so you know like i don't disagree with you in principle you are well within your rights to be like deeply uncomfortable about this and that made me deeply uncomfortable there were there was video of him playing with them like a couple of days before we know he killed them there's video of it and it's in the documentary But it's also what happened, you know, and I I really think that um, I mean, knowing how I know the family participated in this, they were extremely interested in get in making a victim centric story that put the girls and Shanann in the center of it because the whole story had become about Chris and whether or not Shanann had it coming because she was a bitch. Like, that's what it became. They got death threats. I, I think, yes, it's exploitative. Yes, it's voyeuristic. I also understand why they did it. But, but, you know, can we just move on to the case? Because I do want to talk about this a little bit. Because there's some, I mean, just taking the media part of it out of it. Yeah. There's some elements of this crime that are really unusual. Toby, just in terms of the case, is it surprising to you that you could have this kind of a killer, Chris Watts, who with no history at all of domestic violence, no history of abuse, none, ends up committing a crime this horrific. I mean, this is one of the most horrific crimes I think we've, you know, in any media that we've covered, but also a horrific American crime in recent history. It's just, it seems extremely unusual.
4: Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I just, I wondered, I didn't wonder enough to Google it, but I, I did wonder <laughs> if, uh you know, he loses so much weight. Mm. Uh, it gets. I, I just was wondering if maybe he was taking, you know, steroids or or, or was doing something like that. Like I, I don't know, but it is in some ways it's surprising. In other ways, it's just like it's like one of the oldest stories in the book. You mm. know, it's like oh, I found this. You know, I mean, the cop says it. You you found this younger, hot girlfriend, and you know, you wanted to have this different life, and that's how you decided to go about it. To be honest, the one part that I I thought was was pretty interesting was the whole thing with the the lie detector. And I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead. Oh, the investigation. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that part I thought was interesting because I don't think I've ever seen quite the way people use lie detectors. Just knowing that they can't be used in court, but the sort of psychology behind it, a, I don't know why that why he decided to take that lie detector, right? Or why he didn't try and get a lawyer instead of his dad, right? Um, but then once he's done it and he fails, and they're just like, we're we're way past the point where you can walk this back, right? You know? And he tries to brazen it out, and I don't know how how edited this thing is, but it seems like he tries to brazen it out for about five minutes. And he's like, all right, well, fuck it. I did it. Yeah. And then he tries to like mitigate it by saying she killed the kids. But that, like the entire thing, like I, I found that little part of it was a super interesting piece. Of, I thought so too. Uh, I thought footage. so
1: too. They're really good cops. I mean, they, they did it the right way and they were honest with him. They weren't dishonest <laughs> with him. She said, if you did it, you shouldn't be here, sitting here taking this lie detector test. You
0: know, if you did have something to do with their disappearance, um, it would be really stupid for you to come in and take a polygraph today, right? Like, it would be really dumb. Like, you should not be here right now, sitting in this chair, if you had anything to do with chanan and those girls' disappearance.
1: Okay. So the fact that you're sitting here doing it makes me think you might not have done it. So let's get on with it, shall we? And it's like, she knows. I mean, you tell yeah, tell she knows yeah. that he did it, but it worked. Kevin, what are your thoughts on the case itself?
2: It is very interesting, you know, these family annihilator type cases.
1: That is uh, the kind of killer he is, right? Yeah,
2: there's a couple different buckets that those kinds of killers like fall into. And I think normally we would think, you know, looking in and you, you touched on it like, well, was this a guy who was abusive? Because that's sort of like the most typical profile. There's a history of domestic violence in the relationship. And not somebody who, you know, appears to be somewhat docile. It was a bold choice for the storytellers to portray the folks the way they did because Shanon does not always come off great and chris sometimes comes off looking you know very human and they make them three-dimensional characters
3: i'm definitely the um, dominant one in the relationship um he's very sweet he's very calm um I'm the high-strung high one in the relationship.
2: Not everybody appreciates that when it's a homicide story. They want black and white and good, you know. But it's it's more real that way to tell it like that. Part of the reason why it's an important story is because if you were the kind of guy who they had been, you know, arrested multiple times for domestic violence, you'd say, oh, red flags, you could see it coming. Right. And a lot of times you can't. And right. here's a situation where it's the guy with a really long fuse who snaps. And how do you see that coming? It's—I mean—that's just human savagery.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the crime itself was unbelievable. I mean, it really is unbelievable to imagine. The family annihilator is like kind of the hardest kind of killer to wrap your mind around because if your beef is you want to move on, like this is the worst possible way to do it. There's no logic to
2: it. People are going to wonder. There's also a profile where the the family annihilator is somebody who like fails and can't provide for the family anymore and is ashamed and kills the family. Right. Right. And this is like a whole third. Yeah, kind there's of, and yeah. The,
1: there's a bucket that's like religiously motivated, there's a bucket yeah, that's, that's one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a few different buckets and um as Jenny, the director told me, and I looked it up and it's true. Family annihilators are some profile characteristics, and one of them is they usually kill their families on a Sunday in August. Weird fact. Yes, and it's true. Anyway. Okay. uh, Laura Bricker, what are your
3: thoughts about this case? This is probably one of the, like you said, more horrific cases. Like, you know me, I worked in defense. I always try to, like, look at both sides of this. I was yelling at the TV when I was watching this. I was just like, this guy is such a piece of shit. It's horrific. And then when... It flips back to the end and you you know what happened and then you watch all this sort of some of the clips from the beginning again. I don't even know how to describe it. It's such an upsetting case. It's just like you look at him and you're like, how could somebody do this? Like hmm. it just, it defies reason. I mean, we've we've covered so many really awful cases and we've heard of all sorts of horrible things that have happened, but the children, it it's just... I can't even imagine. It's just so awful to think about how somebody could do that to their own children. It really, and then the reason behind it was just so ridiculous to me. Sexy new girlfriend, right? And like, how would you like to be her, uh, pictured in her underwear on the documentary? (laughs) I know. Well, the only thing
1: they had, I mean, let's be real. She didn't. She didn't participate, so we don't have any footage of her. She wasn't questioned, you know, with body cam. But it was just all we have was her interview with police. And the photo that he took of her during their time together while Shanann yeah. was in uh, North Carolina or yeah. whatever, and it's like that, by the way, that that pan over that photo where you see her and then it pans over and you see him taking it is like... One of the creepiest moments in the whole thing, because like that
4: was a good shot.
1: It was it was I mean, th- there is a lot of art in in this thing, even, you know, despite what we, we may disagree about its worth. There's a lot of artistry on display.
4: Yeah, I, I think that's what's kind of frustrating about the whole thing. And to my mind is because, again, when we're talking about like, what's what is it about this case? And it's like, oh, it's so horrific, and it's so like outside of the normal, and it's all this. Like the Jeffrey McDonald case is, in some ways, almost exactly the same thing,
0: mm-hmm.
4: right? It's the um, we just talked about it. Yeah, right? he
1: killed his wife, his two kids, and his wife and wife two, was also and two daughters.
4: And that's a much more interesting case, I think, because he comes up with this alibi. I mean, it's not really an alibi, but this alternative to to what happened and. There's like a real question about was it really hippies, and then there's a whole bunch of weird stuff that happens afterwards with the way he acts and claiming to have killed one of the people who killed his wife and, and all this bizarre stuff. And that's kind of an interesting story. Nothing other than the sort of savagery and unusualness of this is any interest. I mean, they they figured it out almost immediately.
1: Toby, can I just can I just ask you a question though? Yes. Would they not have figured out the Jeffrey McDonald case almost immediately? And would it have been almost as cut and dried in this had there been GPS and credit card receipts and video and all of the real time uh, like geolocation and social media stuff that they were able to pull immediately to like solve this? I mean, that didn't exist when Jeffrey McDonald probably killed his family. So he was able to come up with this alternative theory.
4: Then that wouldn't have been very interesting either.
1: Okay, well I I see what you mean.
4: So in the end, like I feel like as a movie and sort of the way she puts it together and stuff, I kind of feel like it's and, and we've we've done this before, I think more with like HBO shows or at least I've I made the comment before where it seems like there's a lot of thought and craft put into a story that in and of itself I don't feel like is really worthy of the amount of craft that she puts into it. I mean, I just I just feel like the appeal is lower than the art that goes into it.
1: All right. Well, on that note, I think we should do what we do. Let our listeners know what we think of American Murder, The Family Next Door. It's a Netflix true crime documentary. It's about an hour and a half long. It's about the murder of Shanann Watts and her kids by her piece of shit husband, Chris Watts, and the real time investigation that went into solving that case. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down for American Murder, The Family
3: Next Door. Um, I'm going with thumbs up. This case is heartbreaking, rage-inducing, like just absolutely makes you sick to your stomach when you hear the details. But this was a really well-done documentary. It was something that like, I didn't look away from the whole time I was watching because it had so much interesting information and this just really creative use of media and social media and police body cams, which is something we've never really seen done this way before. So I would say thumbs up. I thought it was really interesting. I would like to know a little bit more on the background of Chris Watts, um, just to like psychologically understand a little more about him. But that's just like a minor, minor uh, detail. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down for American Murder, The Family Next Door.
4: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a thumbs down. I, I really did not like this. And I think I've explained my reasons.
1: <laughs> so if you are in the spoiler free version, just looking for the review, you might want to go back because Toby was talking about it for about Five minutes before we started this review part. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for American Murder, The Family Next Door? Well,
2: I'm sorry. I'm going to be a thumbs up. Um,
1: Don't but apologize.
2: No, I mean, I respect Toby, but I, I just disagree with him on, uh, Disagree with him on this one. Um, as far as documentaries go, like when the camera is there, it affects things going on around them. Not any camera, but that documentarian's camera, right? People act differently. They do things differently. Here's like almost a pure form of documentary because the cameras are there, but it doesn't affect what's happening in real time. So it's unlike any other sort of video documentary that we've seen before. If I have a quibble, it's that I think the name is horrible.
1: Yeah, it's The name
2: is so basic and unoriginal. And this is something that's very original. I mean, I guess Crime and Punishment and Tale of Two Cities are pretty lame titles when it comes down to it. But this is unlike anything that I've seen before. It's, It's unique. I don't view the use of publicly posted video as necessarily voyeuristic. It is the basis for every kind, any kind of crime story that we do, but it's not every documentary that is told this way. And it is something that I will not forget.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm giving it a thumbs up too. I am fascinated by this documentary. When I first watched it before I taped the Netflix podcast, I came into your office, Kevin, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about what I'm about to say, but I love this very sensational, uh, not typically in my lane documentary. I loved it. It could have so easily veered into like the cheesiness of investigation discovery. It is the same in on paper as a lot of bad true crime, but it's elevated in its art and to me, it's like the difference between a schlocky, uh, dare I say, Anne Rule true crime book, and you know, a really literary true crime book. It it is the same. It's you're you're going into a story. Somebody committed a crime. There's an investigation. It's solved, and there's a punishment. I mean, it's the same story. But it, it's elevated to me. I Yes, it's voyeuristic. Yes, it's sensational. Yes, there's a lot about it to not like. And I don't blame anybody who falls on that side of it. But I really, really liked it. I watched it twice. I may watch it again because I just am so fascinated just by how the thing was done. So a big thumbs up for me for American Crime, The Family Next Door. And Toby, I hope we're still friends. Are we?
4: We can work through it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime crime of the week. Of the week. Two former corrections officers in Oklahoma have been charged with cruelty toward four inmates. Prosecutors say the guards put the prisoners in a locked room and then played the children's song Baby Shark on a loud loop for two hours. And we should mention the prisoners were also handcuffed against a wall. Completely not cool. Obviously, the guards were fired for good reason. I think the handcuffing in the wall is enough. But let's talk about that song, (laughs) Baby Shark, for two hours. The good news is they didn't make them do the Baby Shark dance. So, panel, my question for you about the crime of the week is, what song would you not want to be
3: subjected to on an endless loop? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I'm going to go with the theme song from Caillou. I don't know if y'all remember. Ah! Hi, you. You got that whiny little <laughs> voice.
2: don't you want to slap the shit out of that kid? <laughs> <laughs>
3: that cartoon Daddy, kid. Why are we going to the park today? Because I'm gonna leave you there.
0: Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hi, you. Should we even like the rest of us even weigh in on this? Chubby Ball, what song would you not want to have to listen to for two straight hours?
4: I had some other kid song, but uh, I can't top that. So I'll just say uh, <laughs> that freaking unicorn song that they play at all the Irish pubs. Oh, in- <laughs> they're
2: a green alligator, long neckies. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they do, like, the hand things just like the baby shark, right? <laughs>
4: there are a couple of Irish bars we go to in D.C. back in the 90s, and I, I would just get despondent when they would start playing that song. Like, you like you didn't like that Christ. one as much
1: as, a, and it's no never. never. No, 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 no. no.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's not bringing back fond memories either, but it's better than the Unicorn song.
1: There are plenty of other good Irish songs, but apparently those are the only two that are like on an endless loop in every pub in America. Kevin Flynn, what about you? What song could you not listen to for two hours? Oh, man. I think...
2: Sometimes when we touch, <laughs> I think like just coming down around again and like, oh no. <laughs>
4: I so, get in touch with your feelings, man. <laughs> I just, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: honesty is too much, Toby.
1: Right. Apparently. Um, I got to go with a song by an artist who I really respect as a songwriter and admire for lots of other reasons in the pantheon of American music. And Kevin, despite the fact that this was your favorite song with which to woo the ladies when you were in high school... I got to go with "Hello" by Lionel
3: Richie.
1: <laughs> oh my God! I for love Lionel Richie. <laughs> oh, Kevin Flynn, uh, do you want to just tell people that how you used to woo the ladies with that song? No, he used to call the ladies, and they'd pick up the phone. <laughs> oh, I think would, I think
2: Facebook is saying wrap it up. And he
1: would just start playing the song and hold the phone next to the speaker of his record player. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for us. I got so how did much. that How would that work
4: out?
2: <laughs> oh man.
1: Hello. <laughs>
2: I got WAP before WAP was WAP.
1: <laughs> no, My you God. did not. <laughs> All right. We should probably end on that note. But before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have
3: a cat of the week this week? Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a cat. I think I'm going to do a llama this week. What? Uh, did I do a llama last week? You did, you a did llama. an elephant. It's like a cow or an elephant or something. Yes. <laughs>
4: Is it a Chilean llama or a Bolivian llama? No, this
3: is a a real life llama that you can go see, Toby. His name is Bruce, and he is a guard llama, and he protects Mm. the chickens. But I learned a really interesting... llama. He is. He protects the chickens from predators. But here was an interesting fun fact. Llamas can not only kick backwards they kick forward with their front legs and bite predators. Wow, so hmm. and they can
2: do the limbo.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and they cost a lot of money. So that was interesting. But I thought it was very interesting that Bruce the guard llama, and sometimes the chickens ride him. Um, he's at a farm up the street from me. I recently went to go meet him. So Bruce is uh, going to be my pet of the week this week. Nice. Do you have
2: any llamas named Caillou?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but
3: Kevin, I'm looking for a new cat. i am finally decided it's time to add another cat to our household, and there was a cat named Kevin that needed a home.
2: Oh,
0: <laughs>
3: too bad, Kevin hates fixed? cats. Yeah, he was. They all get fixed. They all get the snip, snip, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you,
1: perhaps on Twitter, to pitch their animals to be cat of the week, and could be any kind of animal. Obviously, we have no standards. How can they find you <laughs> online? At Laura Bricker and Tony Ball, folks want to reach out to you with their agreement. On your thumbs-down review of American Murder, The Family Next Door, how can they find you on Twitter?
4: At ToeBallNH.
1: And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and compliment you on your giant... Fun Factory wig of curly hair. How can they find you on Twitter?
2: You can find me in my hair at Kevin P. Flynn.
1: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy or follow the show at Crime Writers On. You can watch this very podcast on our show produced exclusively for Facebook Watch. Find it by searching your app or at Facebook.com slash watch slash Crime Writers On podcast. You can even watch it on your giant smart TV if you want, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group or check out our regular old Facebook page. Support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast and Lara Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed for the last time by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the very handsome Henry Lavoie, assisted by Olivia Burdett. Our social media and new Newsletter maven is fellow Taco Bell stan, Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where it sounds like four people are making a podcast, but it's actually just me. On behalf of all the crime writers, (laughs) thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later.
4: Later. 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 Weren't we just talking about how much tighter we've gotten? Yeah, yeah
1: sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We're making changes on the fly. It's
4: podcast
2: kegels.
3: It's <laughs> how tight we got. Oh my,
4: goodness. Oh, my goodness.
1: oh boy.
4: You didn't right. <laughs> care for that?
1: Oh man, you got your voice back and now you're back too. I'm
2: sassy. <laughs> <laughs>